0: The professional's choice.
1: I had an interesting afternoon today. So I get a call. Call is a unit heater has been hit by a fork truck. All right. So I cruise over there. I I look up. Yep. It's been hit by a fork truck. The venting is disconnected. They tell me that a tech was there a few days earlier doing the PM on the building. They said he was at that heater and they said he left and didn't report any issues. I'm like, that's kind of odd. It's very obvious to see that the venting has been disconnected. So I go up there. I'm expecting to see the gas off and the power off. The gas was on and the power was on. I'm like, are you kidding me? That's incredible. So all it took was somebody to go turn the thermostat up and we would have had products of combustion dumping into the space. That's nuts. So I shut it down, right? Actually, before I shut it down, what I did was, is I fired the thing up with the venting still off because I wanted to see if it would fire up and the fan would run, and I ran it literally for a few seconds, just to make sure there was nothing else wrong with the unit before I went out and grabbed parts, because I don't want to come back, fix the venting, and now uh, the venter motor's dead, or or the gas valve is not working. So I did that, shut it down, power and gas, went out, got my venting, hooked it all up, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna test this thing again. And this time I'm gonna test the high limit and I'm gonna test the pressure switch. So I hook up my jumpers and I had an issue with one of the alligator clips on the W1 terminal. It fell off, it shorted out on the cabinet and blew the little three amp fuse on the control board. It's a little uh, automotive fuse with like uh, male uh, Stacons that you slide in to the little terminals on the control board. You guys have probably seen them before as a Lennox unit heater. And I'm like, oh man, like, are you kidding me? I just had this thing fixed up and running and this fuse blows. I don't have any fuses in my truck. And that's what the frustrating part was. So now I had to boot out, go get fuses, come back, put the fuse in, right? And guys, just because I have a podcast, right? And I've been in the trade for a very long time. Seems like forever. Doesn't mean that stuff like that doesn't happen to me. Happens to me all the time. I'm just like you guys, right? Every single day, the struggle is real in the HVAC world. Anyway, so I got the thing fired up. No harm, no foul. It's running safely. Tested the pressure switch, tested the high limit. It's all good. Um, Guys, today on the podcast, I have a really awesome guest. His name is Chris Stevens. Chris, he runs a YouTube channel. His YouTube channel is called HVACR videos. All right. He's in the, uh, the restaurant industry side of HVAC and does a lot of restaurant equipment. So he's going to be on the podcast and Chris is a very smart guy and we're going to go and talk about stepping back when you go on a service call, just kind of stepping back and looking at the whole picture. And he's going to give you a really good example of how stepping back and looking at the whole picture. Has worked for him. So, guys, pay attention to Chris, smart guy, good dude. And as always, guys, this is the HVAC and what all podcast, and I'm your host, Gary McCready. So, let's talk about some tools for a second. If you guys do any sort of air balancing, if you do any air measurement uh, testing, if you guys didn't know, Testo makes a pretty cool flow hood. Now it's the Testo 420. Uh, that's, that's the model. That's the part number. And it's basically for measuring airflow up at ceiling diff- diffusers. You can stick it up. Um, it kind of, it, it creates like a tent almost over top of the diffuser and it blows down into the tent and there's a measurement apparatus within the assembly and it takes an air measurement reading. So if you guys do a lot of air balancing or if you're going to get into that, or if you need to get into it, check out the Testo 420 at testo.com. I was going through Yellow Jacket's uh, website and I came across their new scale. It's really cool looking. It's, it's, it's blue, the Yellow Jacket blue, it's rugged, it's compact. It can take up to 220 pounds all right and it's 0.05% accurate uh to digital scale all right so if you guys are in the market for a scale or looking to upgrade maybe you can reach out um go to the website yellowjacket.com have a look see where it's available um and check it out guys because guess what yellow jacket makes some pretty badass tools refrigeration technologies um Always going to be a fan of their stuff because their products are incredible. This one product called coil coating, Viper Coil Coating, what it's for is to spray on uh, condenser coils, evaporator coils that might be exposed to some sort of corrosion and it protects the coil and it doesn't reduce any heat transfer. All right, But not only that, you can pretty much spray it on any type of metal and it will protect it from corrosion. If you guys do heat exchangers... After a while, you, you you change the heat exchanger and the screws are all rusted and some of their some of them are hard to get out. Who's been there? Because I have. I'm going to do an experiment on this stuff. I'm going to take some hardware um, unprotected, then I'm going to protect some of the hardware with some some Viper coil coating. Okay, I'm going to do some throw throw it in the snow, throw it in a bucket of water with some salt or whatever. I'll figure something out, and then after a while, I'm going to check it out. And I guarantee, I can almost guarantee this, that the protective stuff will not be rusted. All right, that's how much confidence I have in their products. Now, if I didn't mention on the last podcast, Field Pulse has a new invoicing and estimating app. It's 100% free. It's called Simply Send. So if you guys want to try out uh, paperless um, billing and uh, estimating for a bit, with no obligation to upgrade whatsoever, you can check out Simply Send. All right. If you find you like it and you feel like upgrading to the Field Pulse version, um, there is a 14 day free trial and you sign up for that <clears throat> at fieldpulse.com forward slash HVAC know it all. Now, the Armstrong Pump Contest, I don't think there's much time left to get your pumps in. So, guys, If you have an Armstrong pump out and about and you want to get it registered up, you can get a free $20 Amazon gift card. Now, the reasoning for this contest is so Armstrong can kind of get an indication of where their pumps are. All right. Um, And they're going to ask you for some information on on the the form. And I just wanted to make sure that you guys get permission. Um, If any of the information is considered to be private, um, grab some some, uh, permission from that person before you fill out the form. All right, that's all I ask. And Armstrong wants you to do the same. At the top of the podcast, you hear my little ad. And guys, um, Cool Air Products and their Seal. you have to be careful on the application you use it in. You can't put it in a unit that's constantly leaking week after week after week. It's not going to fix that. Okay, it's four pinhole leaks, formicary corrosion leaks in evaporators. And it's to slow down or to stop that leak. I shouldn't say slow down. It's it's meant to stop that leak. All right. If it's used in the right application, has to be used in the right application. Now, formicary corrosion. A lot of people say, oh, don't put that stuff in. Just fix it properly. Well, listen, guys, formicary corrosion in evaporators is like when The copper becomes paper thin pretty much and the refrigerant starts leaking through the pores of the copper. You cannot fix that. The only way to fix it is to take the evaporator out and put in a new one. Sometimes um, the customer doesn't have the money to do that. If it's in a commercial application, sometimes we can't just shut down the machine. Sometimes there's lead time on the part, right? It's not always that easy. So AC Smart Seal basically lets you put it into the system and it buys you time. It seals the leak. It buys you time to do a repair down the road if it's replacement of the entire system or just replacement of the evaporator, for instance. So make sure you're using it in the right situation, guys. And it can be very, very valuable as a truck stock item and save you some time, right? Save the customer some money and then. Go forward from there and put their correct plan in action. So True Tech Tools, guys, as always, save 8% on purchases from True Tech Tools, all right? If you guys are interested in saving Testo on Testo products, there's a link on my website. If you go to the homepage, you scroll down to the True Tech Tools logo, you click on it, and boom, you sign up for your True Tech Tools preferred pricing for Testo. Now, when you're signed into your account, you will see that automatic pricing.
2: What's up, guys? I got Chris on the phone, and we have a pretty cool topic for you guys. And it kind of falls in line to um, the video I just did recently um, regarding motivation and being motivated in this trade. And some of the things you can do to prevent the stress level from building. Um, I did a podcast a while ago called don't be scared it's only hvac i wrote an article called don't be scared it's only hvac and i did a little video uh yesterday and i'm getting a lot of good feedback on it uh, and i entitled it how to be an hvac tech and it just goes into um, motivational stuff and it goes into kind of how to de-stress yourself because basically we're not doing heart surgery on a five-year-old child we're changing compressors and contactors and heat exchangers and and stuff like that so um chris actually brought this up to me he said a good topic would be having a look at the machine and stepping back and looking at the bigger picture and then when you do that you're going to find the solution and not just the 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 problem that we're having at the time we want to find the root cause and the solution and fix it um so chris thank you for um getting onto the podcast and I really think this topic is a good one, and thank you for coming up with that. So, how are you doing tonight, man?
0: I'm doing great, and thanks for having me, Gary.
2: Uh, I appreciate it. So, let's get into a little bit about you and uh, kind of kind of what what role you play in the HVAC industry, your background, um, what kind of work you do, and, and so on and so forth.
0: Right on. Yeah. um, So I actually grew up in the trade uh, working for my dad and working with my dad. Uh, I still work with my dad to this day. We run a company together. We're both uh, co owners. And uh, let's say I started when I was probably, I'd say, about 12 years old. I'd work, you know, summers and days off and different things, you know, when my dad had some work for me, just doing like, you know, PM work, nothing too technical. So I was able to kind of get a head start into the industry uh flash forward to 2002 that's when i officially started working for my dad at the time full-time and uh going to trade school at nighttime. Um, and you know just kind of took off from there it's been i think we're going on 16 years now uh, and we mainly work in uh, restaurant refrigeration so air conditioning ice machines exhaust fans um, you know that kind of stuff we don't get into the hot side work uh, as far as the fryers and the grills and stuff like that but yeah, we kind of do it all. And, uh, it's been an interesting, uh, interesting ride. You know, um, I'm currently 35 years old, uh, live in Southern California and, uh, you know, we just kind of, sorry, I lost it there, but, um, yeah, sorry. I lost my train of thought, dude.
2: No, well, that's, <laughs> that's fine. I was going to say to you when you mentioned the, the restaurant stuff, I was going to say, uh, oh, and then you said you don't take care of any of the hot side stuff and um, I mean that's where all the grossness happens I think in restaurants is those fryers and underneath and in behind they get so disgusting because of the the oil and that so it's good I think it's a good thing that you don't have to touch those I I mean I, I I'm sure that you've witnessed how gross some of those kitchens can be around those fryers and stuff eh?
0: Yeah, definitely. Restaurants are their own little beast. You know, they're not for everybody. Uh, some people, I, I I hear quite a few people that, you know, just ew, I don't want to work in restaurants. That's hard work. And, and it is hard work, you know, but I like the little niche that I work in. And, you know, a lot of the work, it can be challenging at times and, you know, it can be rewarding at times because you can learn to solve some of these interesting problems and, you know, learn from your mistakes and, you know, move on from there. Um, you know, one of the things, I'm sorry, good.
2: I was just going to ask you, um, So because it's a kitchen and because, I mean, a lot of kitchens, they do prep work um, for lunch and dinner and, and all that. Can you get in there like during regular hours to work on this stuff? Or do you have to kind of go in like when it starts to slow down, like maybe after hours or really, really early in the morning or something like that?
0: Yeah, officially, most of the restaurants that I work for, they they want you in there between 7 a.m. and 10 a.m. Okay. and then they want you out for the lunch rush, and then they want you back in there between two and four. But that's not very practical. Uh, it's one of those things where they have a rule, but you know they've kind of learned that if they want us to work in the restaurants, they kind of just have to deal with us sometimes, especially when we have complex problems um, here in the states, and I'm sure it's happening in Canada too. You know, they're they're budget cuts and different things. So actually what uh, a trend that a lot of the restaurants have been doing is, is they've been shaving labor hours off of their, their staff. So they've actually been bringing the kitchen staff in later and later in the morning. So now some of my restaurants, there's, I have one that doesn't get there till 9am, but then they open at 11am and it's like two hours to get something fixed. You know, that's not practical. So.
2: Yeah, I've, I've done some restaurant work. I haven't done a ton, but I mean, if we take care of a building, um, and there's a restaurant in that building then then we'll get service calls on it and there's a few um, restaurants that we take care of for another company they're the main contractor but they call us out from time to time for different things like we've looked at some of their water heaters and they have some some actually exhaust systems with like VFDs on them and stuff. I've never seen an exhaust system for a kitchen with a VFD on it <laughs> pretty like pretty in-depth stuff for uh, for a kitchen usually it's like Straight, straight power, uh, one speed driving constantly all the time. So, you ever, you ever seen anything like that, like VFDs on, on exhaust fans for kitchens?
0: Yeah, actually, uh, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I have uh, just ran into one. I actually just made a video on it about, oh, nice. uh, uh, about a restaurant that they decided that the VFD system that they had for their restaurant, this big technologically advanced, fancy system was not economical for them anymore. The repair costs were exceeding the actual savings and energy. And so they've had us go in as a, it's actually like a a, a, um, a, mandate that they're doing at all their restaurants where they're actually taking out their smart hood system and they're just putting in normal starters for those exhaust fans and running them full speed. Hmm. But the interesting thing is, is that that restaurant was never like the exhaust fans themselves they can all change from different systems, but this particular system, the exhaust fans are all direct drive VFD driven exhaust fans. So when we bypass the starters that were VFDs, now they run at 100 percent or 60 hertz. Yeah. And they were never the, the building was never uh, air balanced to run at full speed. So we run into all kinds of problems because now we're running the exhaust fans and making a massive negative air pressure on the building. And then we have to solve that problem. By you know bringing outside air into the building and different things, and the particular video that I had was a very unique one because that building was designed with not a uh, without a standalone makeup air unit. so uh, they were already relying on the minimum outside air dampers on the RTU units to supply the makeup air, but that was running the exhaust fans at low speed and medium speed. so now that we have them at full speed, we had to open up those outside air dampers and it created all kinds of problems. One of the things, you know, it's interesting because here we are in Southern California where we have mild weather, but imagine if someone had to do that in the Midwest where we have high humidity or up North where you guys are, where it gets really, really cold. If we were pulling in a hundred percent outside air through untempered, you know, out, you know, outside air dampers, that'd be a big problem.
2: Oh yeah, for sure. It would. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like up here it's code to mechanically enter, especially if you have a direct fired makeup air it's code to interlock the exhaust fan with the makeup air. So the makeup air can't run if the exhaust fan is running first. Is that, is that similar? Do you have a code like that similar where you guys are?
0: Yeah, we have similar codes to that where um, I would say our codes are more uh, for fire protection, you know? And so we have interlock codes where, um, and I've had to set up hood systems like that. actually on that same particular hood system that I'm talking about where because I've had to go in and do three or four of them where I do a full bypass on it. Well, the existing controls that were on that smart hood system handled fire shutdown, fire turn on, all these different things. And so when we pulled out that system, you know, I had to interlink and set everything up with relays. So now that particular system is set up to to fire up the exhaust fans uh, and the, or I should say, makeup air. But since the makeup air is in the RTU units, what it does is it sends an occupied signal to every AC puts them into occupied mode, turns on the indoor fans. And then there's also all kinds of logic set up in it, where if there's ever a fire and nobody's in the building, it'll automatically fire up the exhaust fans, but force the ACs off. So that way we don't fuel the fire and we just suck the air out of the building. Yeah. Um, Yeah. There's all kinds of interesting things, but yeah, we do have mechanical codes that apply to, you know, basically the same thing. And, you know, when the exhaust fans are turned on, you are supposed to turn on your makeup air in our case would be the RTU units. So, you know, uh, we send an occupied signal to all the ACs, and then we force the indoor fans on. So, uh, another thing too, where in parts, you know, like the Midwest, where they have high humidity, they may not run their indoor fans all the time. Well, we have to here for building balance issues. Yeah,
2: <clears throat> yeah. Sorry, man. I'm, I'm for some reason I'm losing my voice, but yeah, we we it, it's funny because we don't usually use for makeup air rooftops. I've I've never um, really seen it done that way. Most of the time, it's a dedicated makeup air, and for kitchens it's usually, for the most part, from what I see anyway, is direct fired stuff. And that's that's the main reason why we have to interlock because obviously for anybody that doesn't know, direct fired is when the burner basically fires right into the airstream Um, and indirect fired is when you have a heat exchanger. So if we're firing right into the airstream, all those products of combustion are going right into the space. So we need those exhaust fans running to remove those products of combustion. I even have warehouses that... That have the same thing, um, where they'll have a big makeup air, and they'll have three or four exhaust fans around the building that have uh, mechanical float switches connected to them. So when the exhaust fans start, the float switches swing up, and then it sends a signal back to the control panel for the makeup air, saying, "Hey, you can go into heating mode." So that's the way I've seen it done. I've never really seen it done with rooftops before. So that's that's interesting, for sure.
0: Yeah, it's kind of a new trend out here where. And, again, I, I, don't, I, I think this is happening elsewhere, too. We technically still have makeup air. It's just that they're using the RTU units. Yeah. But what's interesting out here is, is that it's not – well, it's not tempered air. So, you know, we just have an outdoor air damper. But that outdoor air damper is still running to the, through the return of the AC. So those ACs, <coughs> most of the time, these setups are on uh, Linux L-series package units or the new – prodigy series package units and so they do have fresh air tempering built into the unit so they'll basically monitor the duct temperature assuming that they're going to be pulling outside air and even if they don't have a call for heat or cool if the duct temperature gets above or below the threshold it will fire up the heaters or fire up the cooling to temper that air so i guess it technically still is tempered it's just a different way of doing it
2: yeah so you guys are basically using the economizer on the rooftop unit to to bring in the air right
0: Yeah, that's kind of the newer trend. I mean, you have older restaurants that still have a standalone makeup air unit, and occasionally we'll see tempered ones, but it's not very often here in Southern California where you'll see a tempered makeup air unit. Most of the time, they're just bringing in outside air.
2: Hmm. It'd be nice to kind of see that trend up here, too, because, I mean, a makeup air is very, um, like like you said, a standalone makeup air, but if you have a rooftop, there's more things that you can do with a rooftop than you can with, with a makeup air. Um, like for cooling for example uh, most of the makeup airs that you see for restaurants they don't have cooling coils Uh, I don't know why maybe because cost the initial cost to put them in but when when they do basically they put a condensing unit beside the makeup air and they'll fire a a coil into the duct and then just run the uh, the piping from the condensing unit to the coil and bring bring it on when there's a call for cooling to temper that air if it's like you know what I mean, if it's 90 degrees outside or 100 degrees outside, because, I mean, a kitchen's already warm, right? <laughs> so yeah. bringing in 100-degree air into a kitchen, you're not really getting any kind of relief as far as cooling goes. So that's the way they do it that I've seen in the past. So, yeah, like, it'd be it'd be cool to see rooftops utilize more, and then we can do some more things with them. Um, but the topic that kind of what we were going to get into is, is looking at a machine, and if you're going to – you kind of get stressed or maybe not stressed, but can you go into um, just your thoughts on what you were saying about walking away and looking at the big picture?
0: Definitely. So, you know, I, I tend to take a step back approach to diagnosing in general. You know, when I walk up on a system, you know, some of the first things that I'm going to do, whatever I'm working on, ice machine, air conditioner, it doesn't matter is, is communication. First thing you're going to talk with the customer, you know, Sometimes the customers are busy, but it's important to, to get their attention and to ask them, okay, what were the problems? What time did it happen? Is there a trend? Has it been happening at this time every day? These questions can, you, can lead you, you know, in the right direction versus just getting a work order, you know, sent to you via dispatch saying air conditioner not working, then just showing up and diving into an air conditioner not working. Well, you know, talking to the customer really gives you perspective and, and gives you an idea where to start. So I'd say it's always important to start there. Then once you go about diagnosing, you know, like you bring up stress, stress is a big thing. I've gone through it. Same as you, you know, anybody that's been in the trade for a long time is going to tell you that they deal with stress. And I would even argue to say, if you don't deal with stress, then something's probably not right there because you know, our jobs can be stressful at times, but it is important to kind of, like you said, you know, not to let it get to you, you know, to kind of relax and step back and, you know, say, for instance, I walk up on a, a, a unit that's not working. We're going to say, for instance, an ice machine. I'll use that as an example because I just did a video on one of those where, you know, the customers complaint. And this is a new customer to me. Been with them for about three months and I took over this account from another company. And, you know, the customer's complaint is, is that the other company had worked on this thing multiple times. And, of course, you always hear that. So sometimes you have to let it go. But you always hear, oh, yeah, that thing's been worked on a million times. They put millions of dollars into it. But in this case, this time it was true. And what happened was this company had done four different things to this unit. It happened to be an ice machine and they, they couldn't quite figure out what was going on. And I'm talking, they, they probably spent about $6,000 on this ice machine and the ice machine's only six years old. There's, there's no, no reason to spend that much money on an ice machine that's only six years old. And what I did, knowing that, I kind of had an idea in my head, okay, I need to stop and I need to look at this. It's not always this case, but sometimes it's a really easy problem that people tend to overlook. And it's important to remember that because if you do step back, a lot of times you will find that the problem is right there in front of you. And it's just one of those things where you never thought about it, you know, because you're going in there trying to solve for, you know, the compressor that's not running or the evaporator that's iced up or the water valve that's not working. But what ended up happening on my situation was the ice machine had a a freeze up problem where it kept icing up. So I defrosted it and then I go through the steps of diagnosing this machine. And I find, you know, uh, the bin thermostat wasn't working properly. That's what turns the machine on and off. And I find that uh, the, the evaporator, I see a little note on the, the control panel that the evaporator was just changed about four months ago. Okay, so that rings in my head. And then I see another note that a water valve, a water inlet valve was changed on this machine a year ago. Okay, so I'm looking at all these problems. And on this particular ice machine, it's a Hoshizaki ice machine. If you have, uh, usually evaporators don't go bad on these, what happens on them is they have so many freeze ups that the evaporator gets warped and deformed, and it doesn't work correctly anymore. So, being that I'm still having a freeze-up problem, and I noticed that they had changed an evaporator, it starts to make me wonder if they ever solved the original problem. Um, what I ended up doing was I found that, the, long story short, I found that um, the previous company before me had changed a water inlet valve. And by doing some research, I found out that they actually put the wrong water inlet valve on the machine. And what that did was that reduced gallons permitted of water coming into the machine. That was part of the reason why this machine was icing up so bad, because on this particular brand of ice machine, it needs that water coming in to help defrost it off the evaporator. Mm -hmm. But not only that, then I found, again, just looking at everything and looking at the big picture, I found that six years ago when this ice machine was installed, someone used, you know, like a domestic refrigerator flex line to run water to this machine. And essentially, it, it was too small of a water line coming in. So long story, you know, so long story short, the water line coming into the machine was never the right size. The technician before me tried to replace a water valve, but then he made a mistake and put too small of a valve on there. So he he made the problem worse. Then he had to change an evaporator because the thing kept freezing up. And all of those problems were just because it had the wrong water line coming to it.
2: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: And, and that customer spent thousands of dollars and I'm not trying to toot my own horn because I've made mistakes too. It's really easy, but if you can step back and look at it. So I listened to what the customer said. I was, you know, I was visually looking at the machine and I see these notes on there. This has changed. This has changed. This has changed. And it's like, wait a minute. I'm adding it up in my head. Why would we change this part? So when I saw that the water valve was changed, I started thinking, I wonder if they put the right water valve in there. So that was the first thing I checked and verified. No, You know, this was a 1600 pound ice machine and they had a 600 pound water valve on there. So it wasn't letting enough water into the machine to fill it. I was able to do a production check. It it, it was a whole thing, but that was just an example of how I tend to approach things, you know, communication, step back, look at it, think about it for a minute, because that's one of those things where I imagine that tech before me at the other company was pulling his hair out because he probably put that you know, I don't even know, three, $4,000 evaporator in there. And then three weeks later it did the same thing, yeah. you know? So he's over here going, how, what the heck is going on? And it's like, sometimes if you just kind of look, you know, you can't always assume that things are correct. You know, you just got to stop, think and start from scratch.
2: Yeah. And I totally agree with you about communication with the customer. And this is how I see service calls. I don't see service calls as, Hey, my heating or my cooling or my ice machine's broken. I see it as an investigation, and an investigation starts with communication. Right? It starts with what has been happening. What have you been seeing? Tell me how long. Um, can you can you give me a trend log if you have one? Like some machines are hooked up to BAS systems, and you can get trend logs. Um, grab any manual you can. Take it to the bathroom if you need to. Go sit down for 20 minutes, make your legs numb, read that thing, find out what's going on in the manual, and then and then go and start the unit. Just look to see what it's doing. And then go back and look at the manual again and go, okay, it's doing that, that, and that. Let's see if we can find anything else. And if you need to call tech support, to tell them what's going on, to just get, even if they, they tell you one thing that you can check, one thing, It doesn't. they don't need to tell you what the answer is. But one thing may lead you down the road. So, I mean, like a full investigation, communication, reading the literature, and calling tech support. And there's no need to be, um, like, you don't have to feel like less of a technician by reading manuals and calling tech support. I know, I know some no. techs feel that way, and especially doing it in front of a customer. Like, some techs are scared. Oh, if I read it in front of the customer, they're going to think, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, you just explain to the customer, listen, customer. There could be a day where I could see a new year or there could be a year. And every day of that year, I could see a different piece of equipment because this trade is so big. I don't know everything. I can't know everything. I can't retain all the information of every piece of equipment that's out there. Sometimes I got to start from scratch and that's what I'm doing. And if you want me to fix the problem, this is how I do it. And this is my method and we're going to get to the end of this, but it just may take some time. Do you agree with, with that theory? and, And do you, Do you call tech support? Do you read the manuals?
0: Definitely. Definitely. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, One
0: thing I, uh, yeah. And and again, you know, one of the most important things I can say in this trade is, is be humble and be willing to learn. It's never going to stop. Every day there's something new coming out and there's no way we can know everything. You know, there's, there's, there's absolutely no way. Uh, You know, we, we, one of the unfortunate things is, is, And I feel it's because in the beginning we're afraid to ask questions is we tend to learn from our mistakes and that's good and bad. Hopefully you do learn from your mistakes because that that's what makes you better. But if you can prevent yourself from making those mistakes by asking the right questions, by, by calling tech support, by calling your, your superiors, your service manager, whoever go for it. You know, I mean, we have these phones now and that, you know, you remember the days when we didn't have these phones, I think you just mentioned that on your video, you know, with just a simple two way radios and stuff. I mean, it was so much more difficult Yeah. now we've got the world is at our fingertips. You know, I I also wanted to say that, you know, um, I think that our, our industry is, it's, it's interesting because I think we're kind of going in the wrong direction in that we're expecting instant results. And guess what? I don't know how you feel about this, but instant results really don't exist. Okay. I mean, You know, we can't just solve everything. If we're looking at the big picture, you know, we can, we need to take some time. We need to stop and, you know, look at everything. What I would suggest for people is keep your customer in the loop, go up to them and say, Hey, guess what? I found this and this as a problem, but I really think there's more going on here. So I'd like to spend some more time. I find that keeping the customers in the loop makes them appreciate me more, you know, by going up to them. Yeah, I'm bugging them, but guess what? I told him, hey, I found that this unit had a bad compressor. Sure, but, you know, after I replace this compressor, we need to spend some time and figure out why it went bad. Same thing with an expansion valve or whatever you're changing. You know, like, I really want to spend some time. I don't want to quote it just for the eight hours to change the compressor and move on. Guess what? I need a little bit more time after, or we're going to be back here a year from now to change that same compressor again.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I totally agree. And one thing I like doing as well is, is if I change a part that's faulty, I like showing the customer the part, even if they don't know anything about what I'm doing. Even if they have no technical bone in their body, I take it to them and I show it to them and I educate them because that's, that's one of the other things. Uh, I, I think I did a podcast and a, an article called Training Your Customer. When you train your customer, um, basically you're not going to train them to be a technician, but if you take a contactor to them, and say, listen, this contactor's pitted, it's burnt, it's got carbon on it, and this is why I'm changing it. So when I gave you that quote, it's not just because I feel like changing it, this is why. So then the next time they get a quote to change a contactor, in their head, they know what a bad contactor looks like and they know why you're changing it. So I I really like to show them pictures, videos, um, physical parts, and educate them on the whole process of what I'm doing. I find it really helps um, with the communication process. And it builds the gap between um, customer and technician. And it kind of brings us closer together to, to do things um, productively. That, that, that's what I find.
0: Yeah. And, and same thing here, you know, and I'll, I'll one up that and say, you know, what I tend to do too, uh, you know, I'm working on a refrigerator and I have to replace an evaporator coil because it has a leak that's in a spot where I can't repair it. A lot of times in the refrigerators and the restaurants, you know, most of the, the leaks happen because of the, the airborne contaminants in the air that are attacking the evaporator coil. So I like to bring that up to the customer. I say, Hey, look, you see this evaporator coil that's got all this blue gunk on it. I said, you know, what do you keep in this box? Oh, well we keep, you know, salad dressings and lemons, you know? And it's like, Hey, okay, great. Can I, can I show you why this is happening? Maybe, maybe you guys want to change some procedures. Maybe you want to cover your products up better because that acids, uh, the citric acids are becoming airborne and they're attacking the evaporator coil and they're eating it away. So if you guys could potentially, you know, cover that product better, then you wouldn't have to be in this place. Or, you know, once I replace this, you might not have to replace this evaporator again in a year or so. So yes, I like to show them just like you said. And then I like to try to educate them on why it happened and how they can prevent it from happening. If it's preventable, you know? Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah and some customers they won't listen you can talk to you, your blue in the face and they won't listen to you, but other exactly. customers uh other customers will, but at least at least they know like in in this trade and in a lot of trades um especially service trades they get a bad rap that that the customer is being taken advantage of right they they don't know what they're paying for and they don't know if it's if it if the problem really exists like Car mechanics—they get this rap all the time. You take your car into the mechanic, and you leave a thousand dollars later. You don't know what you've paid for, especially if you don't know cars, right? So, when yeah. you educate when you educate the customer on this, at least they start to trust. At least they start to trust you, and they know why you're doing things. Um, and like I said, pictures and videos and documentation helps. Sometimes I show them the manual that I'm that I just read. Hey, look at this. Look at this paragraph in this manual. You see why that unit might be doing this is because this, this and this, like I got a customer that it's actually um, quite frustrating, but time to time they'll call me up and go, Hey, the battery in our freezer is dead because this customer's got, they got a couple of hundred of these, um, these, uh, cascade freezers. They go, they go down to minus 80 degrees Celsius for Mm -hmm. pharmaceutical products and whatnot. And and the light flashes, and they go, the battery, it says the battery's dead. And I'm like, well, hold on. So you want me to show up and just replace the battery? And they're like, yeah. Well, I show up, I read the manual, the flashing light says the timer for the battery has run out. So basically, the manufacturer has set a time for the battery to be checked. So if it flashes, um, check the battery, but the, the manufacturer recommends that you replace it. Now... In my mind, that's a that's a money grab from the manufacturer because they want you in, to order a battery from them, and they're 130 bucks, right? But you can go and get an aftermarket battery for for like 15 bucks or something like that. But you, we go in, we check the battery. It's a 7 volt battery. It's oh, it's reading 6.9 volts. There's nothing wrong with this battery. So reset the timer, and in another 2.3 years or whatever it's set for, it will go off again. So they panic and they like, oh, the battery's dead. We got to get this changed right away. I'm like, no, guys. So I show them the documentation. This is what it is. And there's also one, there's also a timer for a condenser fan. It's every five years, I think, or every 4.8. It's some weird number where it'll flash twice now instead of once, for example. And that means the condenser fan motor, the manufacturer wants you to order a fan motor. And replace it. And it's good business for them if people, you know what I mean, fall into the trap. But if you check that motor, it's clean. I mean, the amperage is good. And, and there's nothing wrong with it. I don't see just the point of changing it just because a timer tells you to change it. So that's one of the things that I got to do with my customers is bring them back down to earth and say, hey, man, like, just relax for a minute. Just because something's beeping at you doesn't mean there's a problem with it. And in this case, there's no problem. It's just a timer. It's an alarm clock. That's all it is.
0: Yeah, definitely communicating with them like that is important. I have to say that um, I don't do any medical work anymore, but there was a good four year stretch where I was doing a lot of medical work for a particular hospital in my area. And uh, I know what you're saying all too well. And it's very funny too. I have to say um, I wasn't working on any cascade systems. Most of my stuff was just medication refrigerators and, you know, things that they store chemotherapy meds and, you know, different things like that. But one thing I do have to say that's funny is, there's a lot of the medical refrigerators out there. There's nothing to them, and they're five times the price. <clears> I find that funny.
2: Yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally agree with you. These these cascade um, systems, there, that, like you, you can't put gauges on them. Like it, it's right. total. It, it, it's it, they're sealed up. Well, the refrigerant
0: out. mixtures in them, yeah. And the refrigerant mixtures in them are four different gases. Oh, yeah, they're, they're very com- interesting mixtures. Yeah, they're, they're com- mixtures.
2: Yeah, they're complex mixtures and i wouldn't even 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 if they were out of gas i'd be like you got to send this back to the manufacturer to be fixed because we once we once had an old freezer in the same building and it had three different kinds of gases in it and it had like a um almost like a propane based refrigerant and yeah. i can't remember the name of it but it helped circulate the oil better and i called and they wouldn't tell me what the refrigerants were and i had to do this e- email process and They finally told me what it was and I called around and nobody could get me these refrigerants. Um, I think one of them was available out of the four and for a 10 pound jug, it was like eight grand for (laughs) this refrigerant. I'm like, okay guys, um, if I find all these refrigerants, all four of them, you're going to be paying like 40 grand just for me to buy these jugs and you need a fart of gas literally out of each one. I said, it's not worth it. Send it back to the manufacturer have them recharge it through their process because they're trained to do this because you're putting literal grams of gas and you need to do it in a precise order. You got to do this gas first, that gas second, that gas third, that gas fourth. That's how critical of a charge it is. And, and on their, um, on their documentation, we do maintenance It says check charge. And I'm like, not required Yeah. To, and they're yeah. like <laughs> and, and, and they're like why is it why is it not required why aren't you checking it well I'm, first of all there's no ports on it second of all if there was i wouldn't put my gauges on it because it's such a critical charge i don't know what i'm pulling out of there when i even if i just stick like a testo smart probe on there that takes nothing i'm still removing oh, a yeah. little bit of gas and if i do that every maintenance um yep. in three years from now your charge isn't going to be right and that thing's not going to work properly so i i mean i I forget what we were why I started talking about that, but I mean that that's one of the things I go through um with pharmaceutical, oh yeah, that's because you said the cost of the freezers yeah so so this thing is like literally like a glorified freezer that you put in your home. It just goes down to minus eighty um uh, maybe yep. it's because of the refrigerant mixture and the complex blend and and the fact that you need to be educated and trained on how to work on them. Maybe that's why they're so expensive, but I can't figure out any other reason why to be
0: honest. Yeah. I, I actually came across quite a few because I work in the restaurants a lot. I start to recognize what one particular brand looks like, you know, what, whatever brand it is. And I started noticing that there's this medical refrigerator that looks a lot like one of these restaurant refrigerators, you know? And so you get into it and you look and you go, okay, but it's painted a little bit of a different color, but the features are the same. And then come to find out, you look on the back and it's got the serial number with the same sticker that, you know, the restaurant brand uses. And so I call who I think it is and I give them the serial number and they say, oh yeah, we built that unit. And they just rebrand it for this medical pharmaceutical company. And they just throw in a fancy Dixel digital temperature controller and that's it. I mean, literally, if you, if you, if you want to get the parts, you can call the scientific company and it takes six weeks because those guys are ridiculous trying to get parts. Or you can call who you know, I, I figured out who the actual manufacturer is and I just get the parts from them. They're the factory parts. You know, it's it's really interesting. Now, I'm not saying they're all like that, but I just tend to notice quite a few brands that are just rebranded, you know, restaurant refrigerators. And yeah. I just find it funny because when I would ask people like how much you guys pay for this, and they tell me and it's like, That's three times the price." I could make <laughs> this thing and make a killer profit on this, you know?
2: Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I, I actually just thought of something that falls in line with with restaurant refrigeration and stepping back and um, i gotta ask you ever work on true uh freezers by any chance i do yep okay so this is a good one this is a really good one for you then so this building i have it's got a brand new true freezer i'd say it's about six months old um a couple months in service call water dripping down out of the uh the drain pan down into the into the freezer cabinet um so I pulled it apart drain line um was plugged full of ice uh just like defrost everything and I called tech support uh we go through checking all the heaters and because it's kind of I don't remember the the name of the controller on the front but it's a pretty in-depth controller and and there was no manual so I couldn't really navigate through it without their help so they told me how to go into defrost and set it to defrost and and I held the the drain heater in my hand and it got hot like it got probably to easily 120 degrees, easily. Um, and it was down inside the tube, past the cabinet, like going outside the, the freezer cabinet. And I'm like, right. well, maybe it was just because of the amount of humidity in here and they opened the door too many times. So called it, like, let's see what happens. Um, a couple of months later, same thing. All right, so then I pulled it apart even further and I found that there was uh, a kink in the wire of that drain freezer, uh, because now it had failed. So I'm like, okay, I pull it apart even further, and I I find these two kinks. One of the kinks, actually, the insulation had broken through, and it had shorted out on the cabinet, Um, so the the heater was gone. So I called tech support again, I go, the heater's gone, Um, potentially this was the problem last time, maybe it was intermittent or something. So they sent me a new one, put it in, tested everything again, okay. couple weeks later, I go back, the drain line is frozen again. And I'm like, okay, this is ridiculous. So then I step back and I'm like, I work on freezers all the time. I said, what is different about this freezer? I go, what's different about this freezer is that the drain line is, the drain line heater is only powered when it goes into defrost. I go, that's not in line with what I see most of the time. Most of the time I see drain lines in walk-in freezers powered 100% of the time just in case there's any residual water caught in there, it will constantly keep that drain line above freezing to keep that water moving. I go, yeah. I, I want to go back and I want to wire this drain heater in to power to be powered all the time. That's what I want to do with this thing because that's how I see them and I know it works. So I told the, c- the customer, they got a hold of their client because this is a warehouse and their client, um, they kind of warehouse the product and their client is offsite. So they called their client and they're like, their client's like, well, we're going to call true and we're going to tell them we got a piece of crap freezer and we want a new one and blah, 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 blah. And I never heard from them again. And then I, I was back there last week and I opened the freezer up and I'm like, what the hell? I go, that's, that's a different heater in there. So they got the manufacturer to come by and look at it. And they put this big, huge beefier, way beefier heater. Cause it was just like a, man, it had to be like a, 14 gauge wire just a resistive wire that was in there just kind of down the tube right
0: yeah i know what uh, you're talking about it does, is it the one that had like the metal jacket on it
2: the metal jacket uh, the is on it wire? the metal jacket yeah. is on it now before it was just like oh, a, piece, okay. a piece of wire but this metal jacket one it looks way beefier so if you could kind of explain that freezer the way you've seen it work and the difference between this little blue 14 gauge wire and then this metal jacketed one. Is there a difference or like, what's the deal with that?
0: I don't know about that. I typically see the metal jacket one on the true freezers. You know, the, the first thing that I would say, uh, like, you know, one of my guys calls me is, is again, let's step back and look at it. Um, is the box sitting hundred percent level? That's the first thing is, is it sitting a hundred percent level because those true freezers need to be 100% level. And if they're not, you know, the drain pan wouldn't be pitched in the right direction. But um, as far as using a heater on there that doesn't have the metal jacket on it, I think that's kind of crazy because the metal jacket is going to keep that heater from being damaged if it ever froze up, which I'm assuming is probably what happened the second time you said you went back because that ice will expand and crush the heater. Do you think that's what happened to it?
2: No, it was up in, in the electrical cabinet where it was pinched. Almost like when it was, uh, put, almost okay. like when it was put together, the paneling had been... Yeah. Pushed too far and, and it was rubbing against it. Um, Interesting. So and and and, and I poured and, and every time I call, I'm like, listen, like, there's been so many times I've experimented with defrost um, on different things to get to get what I want it to do. And I'm like, God, yeah. tell me tell me how to get into this defrost because I want to increase the time. I want to experiment with all these settings in there and they wouldn't tell me. They're like, oh, the heater's yeah. working and the drain is clear, then there's no other problem. I'm like, the drain is clear. I said, I've poured water down it. It's not pinched. It's clear. The The heater was working. It's going into the back of the cabinet and they wouldn't, uh, I don't know, I was getting very frustrated with them and I don't like to talk negatively about anybody and maybe maybe that's their policy not to allow the the mechanic or end user get into their control. Uh, control system and and screw around maybe that's your policy and that's fine but I mean I've had a lot of experimental um, stuff done with freezers that I've had to do and and that's how we we learn and that's how we we advance is experimenting with things on different sites and going yeah that works there but maybe it doesn't work here so let's try something different so when I saw the beefier heater in there I was upset like why didn't you tell me about this this other heater and why didn't you send me that when when you sent me out a new heater in the, in the warranty, because it looks like this thing's working properly now with this
0: yeah, new, yeah. this
2: new heater in it. I,
0: I wanted to say, too, that you, you are, in my opinion, you're in the right direction, too, about the heaters being, uh, the drain line heaters being wired um, either constant, 24-7, and or I will run them in the freeze mode. Um, because, like, at where I'm at, usually... It, in the heat mode that doesn't really make sense to me because the water's going down the drain warm so what's the purpose of having the heater running when it's in defrost i, I prefer either running 24 7 and or the drain line heater running during the freeze mode because in my opinion you know we're looking for a spot where it's having a hard time you know we don't want that water to freeze when it's in the freezing mode so but yeah you, you definitely are on the right track there that seems odd to me um i don't know off the top of my head exactly how they wire theirs. I've never had to adjust the wiring on those, but I will say that, um, you know, we, we come across sometimes where of these manufactured refrigerators, that especially the big brands where they make mistakes in manufacturing, you know, just the guy on the floor didn't wire it right, you know, or we've been having a lot of that, especially since they outsource But true, still makes their stuff in the United States. But a lot of people, a lot of the manufacturers outsourced uh, their products to Mexico. And we've been seeing a large trend in, uh, insta manufacturing problems, you know, like things that you wouldn't even expect, like units coming flat. Well, wait a minute. And then you think, Oh, it got damaged in shipping. No, they, they just forgot to weld one of the, the covers, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah. how
2: did this? And, and,
0: and guess what? On the back, it says, proudly manufactured by Bob.
2: Well, well, he didn't do
0: his job right then because, um, you know, but, uh, Yeah, I've been seeing a a large trend in that. And I think, you know, we as an industry are doing that. I shouldn't say industry. I'd say the consumers of these products are creating these problems because they're constantly demanding cheaper, 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 faster, faster, faster. And this is what you get, you know, when, you know, we can't sell equipment that's going to last 25, 30 years anymore. No. I mean, I I don't think there's any piece of equipment that's going to give them five year shelf life pretty much. Yeah. You know, and that's sad because I, I'm I'm doing an installation on a walk in cooler and I'm removing equipment that was installed in nineteen ninety two and I'm putting in really nice fancy heat craft walk in cooler equipment and I'm just sitting here looking at it going, This isn't gonna last six years. Yeah. You know, and it's sad. But you know, I think we kinda do that to ourselves.
2: No, no, it's it's a good point. The the demand of the customer and drives the uh the manufacturers to pump this stuff out as fast as again. can. So
0: it's almost like the Amazon effect. I mean, yeah. we're driving down the prices. We love Amazon. I love it. It's great. It's convenient, but guess what? Best, you know, best buys are closing and you know, all these these big box stores are closing, you know? And it's like, Oh, you know, our, our, our main, I don't know if you guys used to have uh sport chalets up there. That's a big uh, sporting goods store we used to have down here and they were nationwide and they're all gone. And it's like, wow. So I don't have a sporting goods store to go to anymore. You know, a big box one where I can go get all this stuff. No, you got to buy it online now.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I just actually bought my uh laptop online from Amazon. <laughs> so yeah. I, I mean, mean yeah, that, that's that's know? the way of the world. You can just go home, you can do all your research uh, online and it takes you half an hour to research a few laptops and then boom, you place the order and 2 days later it's at your house. So I mean it it's convenient and, and we're all we're all busy, so I mean people enjoy that convenience, but I think one day our generation will be like sad when all these stores close and go, man, we can't go check out the laptops in the store and use them. And like our kids, they won't care because that they'll grow up knowing that's how things are done. It's like when, when video and DVD stores closed, like when I was a kid, I used to love going to the movie store and picking a movie on nice. the shelf and reading the back and seeing all the, all the pictures, the movies are playing like on the, on the TVs and the corners of the store. And, and that was, that was like a, a huge thing to do with your family on a Saturday night was go to the video store and pick like two or three movies. And now it's like sit on the couch on demand button, Netflix, whatever. And and you're good to go. And I like, I I enjoy Netflix. I love the fact that I can just go to my house. I can pick a movie in two minutes and press play and I've got it. But that, that nostalgia of going out and picking your, your own uh, movie is gone. Um, But anyway, I want to just give you a chance to um, promote your uh, YouTube channel a little bit, HVAC, HVACR videos, because you're doing a great job on them and um, you're getting a lot of views. So anybody that doesn't know about Chris's channel, Chris, go ahead and tell them what you're doing on there.
0: Well, let me, let me say that, you know, the reason why I started making these videos was actually for my own employees. Okay. I, I felt that I'm a small company and I felt that, I can't always have them with me at, at all times. And I tend to take the really difficult head scratcher calls. So instead of telling them, I found myself, you know, talking in the morning every day before work, Hey guys, this is what I ran into. And then I started thinking, I see all these other videos and I said, you know what, I'm going to start filming these calls. And originally when I started putting them on YouTube, they were unlisted. So they weren't viewable to the public. And I would just share the links with my guys. Like, Hey guys, watch this video. And then I just decided, you know what, these videos can be of good resources to, you know, everybody. So I had to do some editing and take out certain things that I had filmed because I don't like to keep customers' names and different things in there. But so, that, you know, I started making them for my guys. And I do have to say that, you know, one of the the comments and different things that I get from from people is, you know, you're very direct in your videos. You have to understand, I still to this day make the videos for my employees. They're directed towards my employees. So that's why I'm direct. I'm telling them like, this is how you want to do this because this is the results you're going to get. So, but you know, I put them up there and I just like to show people the interesting things that I see. And I like to show them my troubleshooting approach, you know, just like we talked about in the beginning of this was, you know, looking at the big picture, my videos are not a how to video. They're not so that the restaurant owner can watch them. If you notice my videos, I usually show the beginning, Something from the middle and something from the end. I do not show them this is what you do here. Because I don't agree in YouTube being the only education for us in the trade. We need apprenticeships. We need hands-on approach. We need classroom education. We need a mixture of everything. Yep. But I do think that videos are a good resource for sure. You know, they're they're great. And so, you know, I just put them up there. and And actually, I've gotten some great feedback. And it's really interesting. I've been very humbled by you know the comments i get from people and how this channel has grown that i created you know i mean it i i really didn't even intend on it doing anything and it's just like exploding
1: yeah so full disclosure guys uh we didn't do a formal goodbye to chris on the podcast because we kind of got a little bit more in depth <laughs> than uh the public should have heard so we we're talking about some some private stuff during that conversation. We were like, you nah, uh, know, we'll, we'll just edit that part out. I know you guys would love to hear that. Everybody loves to hear everybody else's business. <laughs> yeah. But we decided to cut it out. But the conversation up to that point was what the podcast was about. It was about stepping back, looking at the problem as a whole. And Chris gave you a really good example of the ice machine he was working on. And guys, check out Chris's channel because he's doing a great job with it. That's HVACR videos on YouTube. He's got, um, he's, he's got his page on Facebook and he's got his Instagram account as well. So you guys can check him out, follow him, like, subscribe. You guys know the drill. You guys are good with your social media stuff. Anyway, guys, I'm out. Enjoy yourself and happy HVACing.